afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's going on? And welcome to another edition of Sons of Saturday. I'm your host, Tyler Rojack. Alongside Luke Smith, as always. And today, we're going to give you our entire 2022 season preview for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Before we get going here, though, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already and give the video a like at the bottom. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, subscribe there as well and give us a review. Hey, if it's a funny enough review, maybe we'll read it on the show, but probably not. Okay, in today's episode, we're going to hand out our annual preseason awards, and then we're going to go game by game through the entire schedule to share how we're feeling about each of the opponents the Irish are going to face this year. Uh, Before we give our official record prediction at the end, um, we're also going to discuss the Manti Teo documentary that came out on Netflix last week that is honestly taking the country by storm. I can't really believe the reaction that I've seen so far from so many people. Um, if you haven't watched it already, I highly encourage you to do so. To be honest, I don't think either of us were particularly enthusiastic about watching it, but then we came away from it pretty impressed. So give that a watch. We're going to talk about it. I think it's safe to say you'll still learn a lot about all the crazy shit that went down between Manti and his catfisher, Ronea. Uh, before Deadspin released that infamous article exposing Manti's dead girlfriend as fake. Uh, But first, we've got a couple new sponsors on the show that we're really excited about. That we do. Uh, This episode is brought to you by The Hoss Company, a lifestyle brand that's about being the best version of yourself. Be the Hoss. The Hoss lives life without reservations, without doubt, and, and ready to answer the call each and every day. Look, I've known these guys for probably 10 years. Uh, Haas has a great partnership with many current and former Notre Dame athletes, including but not limited to Ian Book, Riley Mills, Houston Griffith, and current Irish offensive coordinator Tommy Rees, in addition to many other professional athletes and influencers. Check out their website at bethehaas.com and use promo code SONS, that's S-O-N-S, for 15% off on your next order. Give them a shot. Check them out. We've got another promo code for you as well, courtesy of Roback. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback for those who crave activity. Use the promo code SUNSND to get 20% off your next order in the entire store. They recently came out with this new men's performance polo called the Shamrock that every Notre Dame fan should check out. We posted it on social media, but if you haven't seen it already, the Shamrock polo is navy with green and gold Shamrock print, and it's the perfect item to use your promo code on. That promo code, again, is SUNSND at Roback, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com today. All right, the Manti Teo documentary, Luke. I think we talked about this before. You brought it up. Have you seen it? My first reaction was, no, why why would I want to relive that? And, and then we both did, and it turns out it was uh, pretty, I don't want to say like super enjoyable to watch at all times, but I came away pretty impressed. Yeah, I don't really know how to sum it up, um, <clears throat> because you're right. I definitely was a little bit anxious about watching it, just because 
I remember when that happened and when that dead spin story came out, like I remember leaving basketball practice in high school to just see that on my phone. And that was a whole thing. Uh, that was a pretty brutal two weeks of high school, honestly, coming off the heels of getting the shit kicked out of us <laughs> by Alabama. And then that thing broke. That was pretty brutal. I'm not going to yeah, lie. It was. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I ended up watching that documentary and I planned on really just watching the first episode the night it came out. And then I enjoyed it so much that I just went through the whole thing. Um, I think the way I would sum it up is it was kind of cathartic, but also still infuriating at the same time. Um, I think the cathartic feeling has come through by seeing some people just kind of realize the error of their ways or realize kind of what this really did to to Manti Teo and his life. Um, But the infuriating part is the Deadspin creeps. Um, I mean, those guys are not journalists. They, they truly just felt like they, like, especially the Tim Burke guy. Um, that guy's a clown. He is a clown. And I remember when he was on TV back in 2013 and it was clearly all about him. He just wanted his fame and he completely played his hand in this whole documentary talking about how the star linebacker with the dead, uh, relative is the very mythos that Notre Dame football is made up on. Like, their piece was not a media criticism piece, as they claimed, okay? And I went at them on Twitter, and it kind of blew up. Like, it, it's good to see that these guys are kind of getting shit on because they're fucking morons. Um, and, and frankly, they ruined his life. They, they did. Like, by writing their article, and when what, what I mean by that is, if you're not familiar, within their piece, which obviously did involve some really intensive Google searching, which any high schooler could do, um, and it's kind of remarkable that nobody did it, but... They wrote that they were 80% sure that Manti Teo was in on this whole thing. So if that's not in that, um, this, I think, takes a very different form and uh, doesn't have quite the same repercussions that it ultimately did. I think the other infuriating aspect of that, the perpetrator of this, Tui Asasopo, might be one of the worst people alive. Um, I don't think there was any remorse there at all. And just, like, listen, things have changed a lot in the last 10 years. I I think... um, Society is a lot more obviously normal and and used to um, just like gender transitions. And I'd like to think that they're less homophobic than the media appears in that documentary than they were 10 years ago. But um, that has that's no excuse for just what this person put Manti Teo through. I I mean, some of that stuff was truly unbelievable. Um, And, and on top of that, it's also been a little bit infuriating to see some of these media people come out and say like, wow, like Manti Teo is such a good person. Like we all owe him like an apology. It's like, and then people can just pull up receipts of what these people were tweeting 10 years ago. Like Andy Staples, who I like a lot was saying on his podcast, how we always believe Manti and Chris Wilson over at Rake's Report actually pulled out an article that Andy Staples wrote like the day after this article came out saying, you know, I just, it's such a complex thing that I, I have a hard time believing that this was perpetrated and it was probably just a made up story instead by Manti. Uh, like, and, and I think that, um, and I've been kind of rambling here, but the point that I'd like to make is that now this reaction that we're seeing that's all the other way, which is kind of the exact opposite of what it was 10 years ago, just once again shows kind of how media and just things can manipulate us, I guess. And just like, just there's such a strong reaction one way or another. Um, this time I, it's a little bit, obviously I enjoy this more, but yeah, I don't know. It's, that's why I would describe it as both cathartic and also infuriating at the same time. Okay. So a lot to digest there. First thing you're right. 
the Deadspin guys are hacks, and I, I love the irony that our friend uh, Greg Flamung pointed out, how they claim that this was going to be like a media criticism story, and, and that was really their intention there. And they're like, well, we're trying to humiliate ESPN and all the other major media outlets for not fact-checking. And then the irony in their entire story is that they didn't fact-check themselves. Or maybe they did and just didn't care because they're not attached to a major media network. Like, if you're blogging, you can say 80%, which is bullshit because that's not how reporting or journalism works. But if you're not attached to some bigger, more ethical um, company and you're just working for Deadspin, who has since pretty much disappeared. I mean, it still exists in some form, but it's a shell of what it used to be. They don't really get the pushback as much as any like a respectable journalist or a credible company would get. So that that was really frustrating. And I wish that in the documentary they had pushed them on that a little bit sure. harder because they yeah. didn't really explain that number because, one, it's probably impossible to explain. But still, I would have liked for them to do it. I think it might be uh, overall the greatest Clear My Name documentary of all time. Usually these things like – Sometimes they go well. Sometimes you're like, oh, this is my side of the story. And they sort of completely disregard. I love how in this documentary they kept – they had the two main people you needed. You needed Manti and you needed uh, Renea, who now goes by Naya. You needed them too. And when they were going back and forth and telling how things went down, I I was watching it with my roommate who went to USC and like obviously knew about Manti Teo but didn't know the specifics. And we were both just like blown away by how fucking insane – this person was like the fact that after what's kind of lost in all this is Manti's grandma did actually die. And in the Polynesian family, he was close to her. That in itself was very, you know, just tragic and traumatic for the family. So if you haven't seen it, spoiler, but, uh, Ronea acting as Lene Kakua, who was a fake girlfriend acting as Lene's cousin, when in reality was, uh, himself at the time, called Manti's mom and was consoling her after her Manti's mom's real mother died. So now for the rest of her life, when she has to think about her mom's passing, she also has to think about the fact that she spent several hours talking to and sort of consoling this person who was like just completely scamming her son and ultimately would ruin his life. Like that part alone made me so mad. But now when you see that, you can kind of understand, okay, like, don't get me wrong, Manti was pretty naive in, in the whole thing, and he made some mistakes, and he blew by some red flags along the way. But I think that the general public can see, like, okay, now now I get how he, he got so deep into this. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think just kind of, you're right, there were some truly insane pieces of that documentary. The bigger thing for me is just, um, one, that actually did bring back a lot of really good memories from that 2012 season and kind of how unexpected it was. And also just like how that was kind of the perfect storm of events to make that even like a real, like notable story. Um, the other thing is it's, it's fuck Deadspin forever. Like and anytime oh, I see always. Deadspin, it's uh, they've hired Julie to care. They've had some of the biggest <laughs> hacks in journalism that have ever written an article work for them. And that Tim Burke guy, I mean, he truly looks like, he looks like a predator. Okay. Like I, I, I just, I like his new hair was just so creepy. And I was like, get this guy off the screen. The, 
everybody's talked about this, but when he just claimed to have like it was like the Liam yeah. Neeson thing, like I have a unique set of skills. Like, yeah, or oh, like reverse the, Googling. Yeah, okay, or the Batman, shit. the Batman thing yeah. in the Dark Knight when he walks into that room and they can access like every cell phone reception in Gotham City and he's like, I have this material that like no other journalist in the country has access to. Like you have a laptop with a few monitors. I mean, the fact that they said they weren't going to wait until they had every piece of information to publish publish this article, like, really? Like, that's not journalism. Like, what what are you fucking doing? So, I don't know. That that really just drove me insane. One last thing on the Manti doc, because we because we've been on this for for a little while now, is just how how many things had to happen in order for that story to get to the level that it was and, and watching. And you're right. Like that 2012 season, how many crazy things, how many times Notre Dame was on the brink of losing. And if Notre Dame goes 10 and two that season, the, the Teo story is great for a couple weeks, maybe just after that Michigan state game. And then it just sort of goes away. Like the fact that Notre Dame had that incredible season was, is really behind it all. And kind of what caused this story to grow as much as it did. All right, before we get to our preseason awards, a couple unfortunate injury news out of Notre Dame's camp. Uh, The big one being fifth-year left guard and captain Jarrett Patterson suffered a foot sprain last week. Um, That's what head coach Marcus Freeman called it. Uh, Patterson is now considered questionable for the season opener against Ohio State. Uh, Freeman seemed confident that Patterson will play. I don't know if that has more to do with the fact that Patterson recovered from a torn pack in the spring and did that in pretty record time uh but this is just a tough situation for Notre Dame and, and even if Patterson does play there's no way he's gonna be close to 100 percent yeah I don't think he'll play um I, honestly like, I don't want to make this comparison but the way that Freeman framed that almost sounded like Brian Kelly-esque just like very open-ended and then I saw that he was at practice on a scooter the other day yeah and he's a hard cast he's not playing in two weeks no, I, I don't think he will either. I'm sure he's going to try to play. He's going to give it his all and and you know try to be out there with his guys. But he's how in a hard foot, cast. How many foot injuries can we have? Like what what is going on? I don't there? know. It's it's certainly been a, a trend. And Freeman was even asked about it. He sort of dismissed the thing. I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know how you could pinpoint that. I know that there's been some talk of Under Armour and the shoes. Like I I'm not gonna pretend like I know enough about that subject to say that we need to get rid of Under Armour because their cleats are leading to these foot injuries. I don't know, but it is weird and at this point, like it's become a trend now and um yeah, I, I don't think Patterson is gonna play. I don't know how you go from being on a scooter and a hard cast to being able to play twelve big days time later. college football twelve days later. So now I guess the good thing is after that, Notre Dame is a couple what should be easy games. So, um, I mean, I don't think – like it's going to be – it's going to matter a ton on September 3rd, but we'll see what happens after. Another quick note, starting cornerback Cam Hart was not present during the portion of the practice open to the media on Monday. Um, it sounds like he'll be ready to go by the Ohio State game. We haven't received a whole lot of information about what the injury is or how severe it is. It sounds like he's going to play, but I, I think, um, you know – Cam is at a position where we need him at 100%. So it's a little bit concerning. That was a weird one um, because it was reported. I mean, the media only had access to like five, I think, segments of practice, and he wasn't there during that. But then as they were waiting for the presser, they saw him come out of practice with his shoulder pads. So I don't really know. Um, Pete Sampson of The Athletic did report tonight that he heard it was a hamstring issue. He did have a hamstring issue going into the Fiesta Bowl last year. I'm not sure if it's the same hamstring, but um, that's what's been reported. But, 
yeah, kind of a weird one. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll learn more as time goes by as we get closer to the game. But really, Notre Dame needs Cam Hart at 100% going against one of the best position groups in the country in the Ohio State wide receiving core. Um, we'll get into that Ohio State game a little bit more later. But let's get to the preseason awards. If you weren't with us last year, if you're new to the program, we uh, hand out a little – we hand out some awards before the season starts. We make them up. Some of them – um, you are pretty self-explanatory. Some are going to need a little bit more context here. So, Luke, I'll let you lead us off. Yeah, so our first award is the Jonas Gray Award, uh, the senior who has a breakthrough year. I guess you could also call this the Asmar Bilal Award, um, Javon McKinley. More recently, there's some others that fit that mold as well. I think Jonas Gray probably the earliest one I can remember that fits this mold, so that's why we went with that. I actually went with this guy for this award last year, but he got another year. So I'm going to give him again um, because I can't be wrong twice. It's Joe Wilkins. He's already ahead of schedule here by, I mean, he's going to play against Ohio State from all accounts. Somewhat of a miraculous recovery, if we're being honest. Like Liz Frank injuries are severe. Right. And last year he played four or five, four and a half games roughly. And he he flashed a, a couple times. He had that nice touchdown against Florida State. He had a catch against, I think, Cincinnati before he got hurt. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, I, basically, this could be a speaking it into existence sort of thing because we just need some production at that position. But I'm going with Joe Wilkins again. A little bit of a, a cheat here, but I'm going with him again. I can't believe we're doing this. Uh, two receivers, which is very uh, – certainly isn't indicative of how we've been talking about them lately, but I'm going to go with Brain Lindsay. Um, again, this might be out of necessity given the depth at wide receiver for Notre Dame, but I actually think Lindsay's going to finally live up to expectations this season. He's the most experienced uh, receiver on the roster, especially now with Avery D- Davis out for the season. And everything we've heard about him in spring, through summer, through preseason camp has been really positive. He's a leader. And he's been displaying his talent on the field. And we've seen flashes of how good he can be in the past, mostly during his freshman year in 2019. He's just never been consistent. I know he dealt with some injuries, um, but we just haven't seen him put it together for a full season. Uh, For his career, he has 667 receiving yards, six touchdowns to go along with 227 rushing yards and two TDs. I might make a bold prediction here. I think he's going to match those numbers this season. Wow. Okay. I mean, that'd be a really wow. impressive year, and Notre Dame yeah. sure as hell needs it. But I actually think if he can stay healthy and play in the way that we've heard he's been playing in practice, I don't think that's off the table. Okay, well, I've got him for another award, but we'll get to that later. But I, I like where <laughs> your your head is at. Yeah, this is positive. Yeah, totally. Uh, moving forward, next award is the DCO Cafe Award, also known as the Hidden Gem I guess DCO Cafe might not be so much of a, of a hidden gem on campus anymore, but if you were with us, if you weren't with us last year, basically it's the best on campus eatery at Notre Dame that nobody really knew about for a long time while we were there. Um, the way we're defining this is a player who is not a starter week one, but ends up having a huge impact on the team. I'll lead us off here. I'm going with Prince Colley. Uh, he was a top 100 recruit coming out of high school in the class 2021. He won the Buckus Award. Like, he's a very talented guy, and he had a pretty big adjustment period when he got to Notre Dame last year. He was actually supposed to be a part of the game plan against Toledo last year. Got a pretty nasty bout of COVID um, and just never really seemed to rebound from that. He had some limited action, um, but it wasn't wasn't much. From what we've seen this spring and summer, it seems like he's really 
responded well, and he's actually had some face time with the media and, and acknowledged that he struggled this freshman year, but he's committed himself to really be the best player he can be for Notre Dame. Now, that is a very loaded linebacker group, but if history tells us anything, um, we'll probably have some injuries. Uh, right now he's working as the number two Will linebacker, I believe. I think he's going to make a big impact. And, like, listen, this guy is committed. I even read that he quit eating canes to get himself below 8% body fat. So, like, that's a pretty big commitment. I think he's going to have an impact this year. Wow. On record, quitting canes. If you haven't had canes, you should. You need to yeah, try it's, it, too. It's actually it – the one in South Bend, though, apparently is so bad. I think that that's the real reason why Jordan Johnson transferred. He was <laughs> tweeting about that all the time when he was in Was he actually? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I was I think, so pissed when I found out that they built a Canes around campus like after we left. Yeah. That would have been awesome. Apparently garbage. So I, I don't know what they're doing over there in Mishawaka, but that's why yeah. Jordan Johnson left. Well, that's disappointing to hear. <laughs> we got to figure things out at the Canes in Mishawaka. All right, I'm going to stick with the defensive side. I'm going to go with Justin Advalola. Uh, he had a really strong junior year in 2021, and I'm kind of cheating on this one because – He's going to be number two on the depth chart this year, but he'd probably start at like 115 other FBS programs. And he's going to see the field a lot because he's an excellent pass rusher. He had five and a half sacks last year as Isaiah Foskey's backup at the Viper position. And we've both talked about this on multiple occasions, Sam. The defensive line is the best position group on the roster, or at least tied for the best. And when you have a guy as good as Justin Adamalola coming off the bench, I think that tells you like all you need to know about this group and how good they can be this year. I mean, I think they can be really good, um, but I, I I think that this is a fair pick. But also, like to your point, it almost feels like a little bit of cheating because he would start at almost any school in the country that's not in the top five. So okay, um, I'll give you an honorable mention though, real quick though, because I, I was sort of going back and forth between this one and even the previous Jonas Gray Award. Uh, I'm going to throw in DJ Brown. I thought we assumed okay. he was going to be the starter, starting safety opposite Brandon Joseph, that based on what we've been reading, um, the reports out of camp, it seems like they're still figuring that part out. But Houston Griffith has been taking some first-team reps. So for the sake of this award and maybe the previous one, he's an honorable mention for both, uh, DJ Brown could have a really strong year. He came in to replace Kyle Hamilton after he went down last year. And he ended up having a really strong finish minus the Fiesta Bowl, but so did every other Notre Dame defensive back. So I just want to throw him in there, um, give him some love, because I think he could have a really strong season. Yeah, I know it was kind of reported that Griffith was running with the ones, but it it kind of sounds like when the media has had access, Notre Dame has very intentionally not been showing anything formationally to them. Um, I think the idea of, like Irish Illustrated said, that three safeties on the field at one time could be a possibility too. So we'll see. But, yeah, that's I think that's a fair pick. All right, let's move on to the next award, the uh, Brothers Bar and Grill Award. It's for the position group or player that's going to frustrate you at times but deliver when it counts. If you've ever been to the Brothers in South Bend, um, you probably had a really good time. You also probably had miserable service. That's just part of the deal. You, yeah. If you go to Brothers, you eat at the patio on a really nice day in South Bend, uh, serotonin levels are really high, despite the fact that it might take 30 minutes in between getting a beer. But overall, uh, I think that when, when we were in college, we went there a lot. We had a, real, a lot of really good times there. So we're going to say, like, hey, it's going to be really frustrating, but you know, at, at the end of the day, we're probably going to keep coming back. So who's your player for this award? 
It's your guy, Braden Lindsay. Um, let's be honest. He's had a pretty largely disappointing career. Um, and yes. a lot of that has been due to his lack of ability to stay healthy. Uh, and when he is, isn't a hundred percent, he's been largely very ineffective. Um, I think because of that, he sort of just annoys me to be honest. Like, and he was a big time recruit. Um, Obviously, I think one time committed to Oregon and then decommitted. Went to Notre Dame. Was he? Was he also at one point committed to Notre Dame and decommitted, and then yeah. committed to I, Oregon, and then yeah, is I that what he, it was? Yeah, snip, snap, snip, snap. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was just not a good first impression. Um, so if we're being totally honest, I think that one has never really left me. Uh, at least just it, it impacted me. That said, for all the reasons you listed for the other award. Um, breakout season. I think that could happen, and I think he may come up in some big moments this year. So I'm going with him. I like that. So I'm going to go on the other side of the ball here. I'm going to go with defensive backs, and I don't want this to seem like I'm I'm negative on the defensive backs this season because overall I would I would say I feel good uh, about this group. I just think they're going to be susceptible to giving up a lot of big plays, and that's going to be frustrating at times. Obviously, they're going to have their hands full against Ohio State, so I'm basically removing that from the equation here. Uh, and looking at it more as the season as a whole, I really think highly of Brandon Chase. <clears throat> I really think highly of Brandon Joseph and Cam Hart, but the rest of the starters are just good. They're not great. And sometimes good players make bad plays. And usually when a defensive back makes a bad play, those mistakes stand out a little bit more because they're the last line of defense. So all in all, I think this group is going to have a solid year but I think they might give us some gray hairs in the process, especially early on. Uh, but I think that could change as the season goes along and they could end up being a strength. Yeah, I, th- I think they actually are going to be a bit of a surprise. So I, I have no problem with that selection, um, although we might feel differently after night one. Uh, <laughs> moving forward, uh, our next award is the Club Fever Award. A new freshman. one. Yeah, new award uh, for freshman of the year. If you're not familiar, I know we've talked about this a lot on this program, but uh, Fever back in the day was really the only bar that freshmen at Notre Dame could get into. So we're going to honor it. Um, it's it's long gone. Uh, in fact, the guy that ran it, his ashes are in that site somewhere. Um, but that's, that's a not a joke. Podcast. <laughs> that's, yeah. It's very real. <laughs> um, I'll kick us off. I'm going with Junior Tui Halamaka, which might seem like an odd pick because I think Notre Dame is pretty loaded at middle linebacker. But I think he might just be too good to keep off the field, and I do think he's going to have an impact. Um, we've heard a lot about his instincts and smarts at linebacker, just seems to really know to, how to play the position well. Um, but I think the larger thing for me is kind of as I went through this exercise, I think there's a lot of really promising freshmen, uh, especially on defense. Benjamin Morrison, we've heard a lot of really good things about. Jaden Mickey, obviously. Tobias Merriweather on the offensive side of the ball, people are excited about. And, and frankly, if Jadarian Price didn't get hurt, this could have been him. So um, there's a lot of, I think, promise in that freshman class. I didn't even mention Holden Stays or Eli Raritan, who we've heard good things about. So I think the good thing is it seems like there's a little bit of a youth movement, and I think a lot of these guys are going to be pressed into action early on. So that'll be interesting to see. I'm a little bit surprised uh, you took Junior because of, just like you were saying, how loaded the linebacker position is. Uh, every time I see a picture of him, he does not look like a freshman. Nope. It kind of catches me off guard every time. I'm like, who is that? And then I'm like, oh, my God, that's Junior Tui Alamaka, and he's a true freshman, which is pretty insane. Um, and, yeah, even if he doesn't play that much a middle linebacker, I, I got to imagine he's going to be on, like, every special teams. Right. So he's going to be seeing the field this fall uh, in, in some degree. And then by the end of the year, yeah, I mean, he could basically force his way into the two-deep 
Uh, for me, another wide receiver. A little bit shocking, considering how down I've been on the group. But to be clear, I'm not down on the individuals. I like what Notre Dame has in every scholarship receiver. The problem is there's just not that many. Uh, but Tobias has been a force since he stepped on campus this summer. Everyone who's been there at, at practices, at workouts, has raved about his talent. Uh, but maybe more important than that is how comfortable he's been, like experiencing his first taste of big-time college football. I'm not saying he's going to have like a, a Michael Floyd-esque freshman year. I think that's way too much to put on any true freshman. But given the depth, he's going to be in there a lot. And it's not a situation where in the past, like we've had some freshman receivers who get their chance, they mess up, and they're basically stuck on the bench. Like Notre Dame can't do that. When Tobias has mistakes, he's just going to have to play through them, which is hopefully, uh, assuming he has the mental wherewithal to handle it all, which by all accounts it seems like he does, um, I think he's going to have a really strong season. And, and if it's not Michael Floyd, I do think he's probably going to have the best statistical year of any Notre Dame freshman wide receiver since Floyd. Wow. Okay. That's that's pretty lofty. Um, but okay, I, I'm, I'll sign up for that for sure. We didn't say uh, Jaden Mickey either. Honorable mention. Um, cornerback looks like he's going to get some nickel. I uh, just wanted to throw his name out there because, I mean, Marcus Freeman has already called him a leader on the team. So if he wins this award, I don't think either of us would be surprised. No. Um, next award, and this is different from the Jonas Gray Award. This is the Kyron Williams Award, uh, new award. It's player who has a breakthrough breakout season. I guess if you look at Kyron in 2020 after sort of being benched after the Louisville game in 2019 and not seeing the field again, that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, But we had heard a little bit in camp that he was really going to blow up. So my pick here might be, again, a little bit not totally in that spirit, but I'm saying Riley Mills. Uh, I had him as my DCO Cafe Award preseason last year. I think that was a pretty fair pick because he flashed at times – had an impact, but I, I wouldn't say he had a breakout year by any stretch of the imagination. He had one really good game against Virginia and a couple other moments. This year, I think he's going to dominate, and I think he's going to complement Isaiah Foskey really well. I, I really think that if Notre Dame's going to have a chance in Columbus, he and Foskey are both going to have to have multiple sacks, um, and I think that could happen. So, anyways, uh, I'm going with Riley Mills for this one. Yeah, I think last year it was a situation where like he flashed again in camp and and everyone was talking about it, but it was just a little bit crowded. And then he came in that Virginia game and dominated. Granted, that Virginia team was horrible. But yeah, now he's going to be a mainstay on the defensive line, and I, I'm with you. I think that's a really good pick there. Uh, I'm going with Audric Estime. Estime was similar to Kyron Williams, buried on the depth chart his freshman season. Um, I'm just kidding. He's not going to be Kyron. No one will be. Uh, but look for him to make a big impact this season. He got his first carries in that blowout against Georgia Tech when Notre Dame was just beating the shit out of them, and they were just throwing new guys in there, and they were still running all over him. Estime had six carries, and he still had 61 yards in that game, including a long of 21. We didn't see him much in the Fiesta Bowl. I think he got one carry for, like, negative yard. Um, but if you've been following what running backs coach Dylan McCullough has set, had to say about Estime, I think it's been pretty clear he's turning heads in practice, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this. He might even be the lead back out of the gate. Uh, with Chris Tyree being more involved in the slot, Logan Diggs coming on off an injury, Jadarian Price hurt. Estime is going to get a lot of carries no matter what, but based on what we've been hearing and, and reading, it sounds like he's going to be a force, especially behind what we expect to be a, a very impressive offensive line. Yeah, um, I expect big things from him this year as well. Um, again, 
kind of we need him to be, but just from everything we've heard, I, I think that that's highly likely. Yeah, and it's kind of surprising considering, you know, like when he was being recruited, Notre Dame was going all in on Will Shipley at the time. Well, no, they missed on Shipley. And then well, that's what I mean. Half. They mi- yeah, they missed yeah. Shipley. So Notre Dame yeah. was going all in on Shipley. Yeah. They whiffed, and then they were like scrambling. Well, and then, him and Diggs both, yeah. 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 yeah, and Diggs wasn't that highly recruited. They got him away from LSU and managed to get Estime away from Michigan State. That's a pretty good uh, pull there considering they whiffed on their main guy and oh, were yeah. still, still able to get two pretty productive backs. No, without a doubt. Um, and, yeah, we'll see what Estimate can do this year, but I, but I expect big things. All right, let's move on to the 401K award. We had this one last year. It's the player who might ha- have the biggest impact this fall, but whose progress you will be watching closely. Um, I This one, I can't believe I'm saying this one because going into camp this would not have been the case at all. Uh, I'm going with Ben Morrison, the cornerback. Jaden Mickey, we've already mentioned him before, has been the true freshman corner getting all the love and has been, you know, it's been, it's very public now that Mickey's had an incredible spring and, and all that. But since Morrison has come on campus, he's really impressed, particularly in this fall camp. Uh, coming out of high school, he was a four-star recruit in the class of 2022. Uh, he was ranked just outside the top 300 players nationally, according to 24-7. So taking that into account, plus the fact that he didn't, um, get on campus still a little bit later. I don't think anyone had super high expectations for him this season, but it sounds like he's like forcing himself onto the field a little bit. I still don't think we're going to see him a ton in, in games on Saturdays unless it's like garbage time or unless we deal with some injuries here uh, because there's just a lot of depth or there's just a lot of seniors in front of him and Mickey seems to be one up on him as well. But that I'm more thinking down the road here. Like if Mickey and Morrison both turn out to be really strong corners. Yeah. That could give Notre Dame a cornerback tandem that they haven't had in a really long time. No, without a doubt. Um, and, I mean, listen, you're right. Morrison wasn't highly recruited, but he comes from pretty good pedigree. Uh, his dad played in the NFL. All of his siblings played college sports. One brother played football at Arizona. So, like, it's there. Um, and I think he just – it sounds like he's starting to unlock that. So, I like that pick. I agree with you. I wouldn't have said it um, probably two months ago, but everything we've heard coming out of this camp, it sounds like – I think that's going to be interesting to follow. Um, my pick, a little bit different. Somebody who we haven't heard a ton about. Uh, that's Jalen Sneed, who was the – I think the highest rated prospect in this, this class. And it seems like he's kind of been forgotten about a little bit now. Like this is the third or fourth time I've said this on this podcast, that linebacker room is loaded. This is so, the like, third linebacker you picked for an award. Well, be, but <laughs> for listen, good reason, for good reason. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Um, and I just like, he could have a very similar year to what Prince Collie experienced last year, to be honest. Um, I'm interested to see how he handles that. Um, he was Mr. Everything down in Myrtle Beach, right? He's from Myrtle Beach, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's it's not – it's kind of a welcome to reality moment for these guys sometimes, and I'm interested to see how he handles that. Like, it sounds like he's already kind of progressed a little bit from where he was a few months ago, but he's somebody I'm going to be very curious to be hearing things about, um, especially because I get a little bit nervous with some of these highly touted recruits from down south that maybe don't get that – um, immediate gratification with playing time. Uh, so that's going to be something for me to follow. Yeah, it's definitely something uh, I feel like I, it good reason to be concerned. Um, 
that Notre Dame freshman linebacking hall, like we talked about it before, like after signing day and all of that stuff, it, it might have been the best linebacker hall in the country. So there's a lot of really talented players there. And even though they might not get a ton of time this year, um, you got to imagine, you know, once Bo Bauer, J.D. Bertrand, all like those guys leave, they're going to be ready to step up and fill in uh, in, in a big, big way. Um, okay, we're moving on to another new award. Um, this one is is a little bit, it, it, it's close to home. This is the Vontez Duff slash Justin Yoon Award uh, mm-hmm. for the Special Teams Player of the Year. Um, this should probably be the Justin Yoon Award, but uh, we mentioned it before, but there's some real... You mean, the, ro- you mean the Rocket Ishmael yeah. Award? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty absurd that we picked Vontez Duff as the Notre Dame return man for this yeah. award. It's um, okay. We've mentioned it before. Uh, when I was younger, I was obsessed with Vontez Duff, I think just because he had that punt return for a touchdown against Maryland in like yep. 02. And then yep. didn't you get his gloves? Yeah, the following year, 03. Yeah. So yeah. And I like wanted to wear the same gloves. Yeah, it was kind of weird, but that's sort of where the Notre Dame's obsession started. But special teams player of the year. Uh, Luke, who do you got? So first, I think I need to issue an apology um, because it sounds like, and listen, I was very harsh on Big Gruppy, okay? Like, to say the first least. First of all, I think, is it Gruppy or Groupy? I, whatever, Blake, sorry. Um, <laughs> it's, you can't even get his name right. It's like, and this this may have been the biggest overreaction of spring because if you listen to anybody who's been around the program fall camp, it sounds like he's been nails, now like and he's all of a sudden just this stud kicker and Brian Mason basically chalked it up to I don't know why they were doing this but whoever was holding in the spring is is not holding this year he's not the holder they didn't even have a holder in the spring uh the holder is going to be John Sott the Harvard transfer who's going to be the starting punter um anyways it sounds like groupie has been fantastic and very consistent so obviously we'll see how that looks or manifests in Columbus but I apologize for questioning your chops. Wait, did we bully Groupie into being good at football or being a good kid? Yeah, I'll I'll take some credit. I, yeah, um, I but, think you should but, stop apologizing and just like you know compliment yourself, dude. Pat yourself on the back. You yeah. did this. You forced Anyways, Blake Groupie. Into all being that a good goes kicker. to say, he's not my pick for special teams player of the year. Uh, <laughs> I really that, thought you were getting there. No, that would be Bryce McPherson, the freshman punter. Here's why. Uh, He is going to be the kickoff specialist this year, and that is pretty impressive for a freshman to win that job. Brian Mason says he's kicking 80% of his kicks into the end zone for touchbacks. Um, He's got a boot. The other crazy thing I heard, which I honestly do not believe, but uh, this was reported by Tim O'Malley and, and Tim Priester of Irish Illustrated. They were talking to Blake Groupie and, um, I think John Sott, and they were they were told by these kickers that Bryce McPherson won the freshman sprint in June. That that means he beat a healthy Jadarian Price and uh, Jalen Sneed and all those actual skill guys. Um, how fast is he? I have no idea, but apparently he's a very athletic punter uh, turned kickoff specialist, so I'm going with him. I think that's going to make a difference in some games this year. Um it's going to be interesting to see what the Irish look like under uh, a new special teams coach who is nowhere near as conservative as what we've been accustomed to the last 15 years. So that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it, I can't wait to see what the special teams does. Like, 
Brian Mason, it's been, you know, well documented that at Cincinnati, they led the country in punt blocks last year or in blocked punt last year, excuse me. Um, so sort of with that in mind, I'm going to go with Davis Sherwood and shout out Wapu Nation. Sherwood, uh, it was announced today that sophomore fullback slash tight end Davis Sherwood was put on scholarship after appearing in all 12 games last year as a true freshman walk-on. That's like unheard of. Uh, to begin with. That's really impressive. And he's going to be on every special teams unit again this year as well. We're just talking about how aggressive Mason is. This is like the type of player you want on a special teams unit. Have him flying around. He actually switched over from the defensive side of the ball. And it seems like his issue when he was a recruit, um, he didn't get to play out his senior season in 2020. They had to play it in the spring of 2021. He was still growing. And it sounded like that he, in the spring of 2021, when he actually had a good season, it was too late, really, because all the big-time schools had already offered their scholarships and their classes were pretty much set. So he was pretty adamant about playing for a big-time program, came to Notre Dame as a preferred walk-on, earned a scholarship after just one year uh, in the light of... It's like the one positive thing... Uh, regarding Avery Davis, because he gets put on medical hardship. Notre Dame has an available one, and they give it to Sherwood. So uh, if you haven't seen him much, keep an eye out for number 38 this year. I think he might be able, he might do some damage. Why not? I don't see why not. All right. MVP. Uh, this one was an easy one. Luke, who, uh, who did you take? It's, uh, it's Michael Mayer. Um, I'd like to say Tyler Buckner here. Uh, wishful thinking and and if that is the case and that probably means Notre Dame is back in the college football playoff but frankly saying that I think would be a little bit disrespectful to Michael Mayer who has probably been the one of the most dominant players from the moment he stepped on campus that I can remember ever playing for Notre Dame Um, he's just been so consistent and it's going to be a privilege to, to watch him play one last year for Notre Dame I mean He's the guy that literally said on that one Barstool podcast, I would have gone to the NFL last year if I could have. Like, he's that confident. Yeah, and he would have been drafted high. For a good reason. Yeah. And listen, he's better than Brock Bowers. I don't want to hear it. Um, that's actually a, kind of a point. I'm kind of pissed off about this because Mayer got fucked by this last year where they gave just a lifetime achievement award to Charlie Kohler, who he was way better than from Iowa State. And Kohler got the Mackey Award. He got first-team All-American. Even though Mayer's stats dwarfed his. Brock Bowers is a sophomore. Like, listen, get first off, Mayer does not even need the Lifetime Achievement Award because he's better than Bowers. But fucking be consistent. Like, what are you guys doing? This, it just pisses me off. Yeah. I'll just uh, say Michael Mayer was my pick to win the MVP as well on this team. Um, you mentioned, like, he wanted to go to the draft. He would have if he could have, and he would have been drafted high. So Notre Dame literally has a he, – he would be starting in the NFL. So Notre Dame is a starting NFL tight end on their current roster. And I understand why you would want to take Buckner, but Buckner is going to be relying on Mayer, like, all season long. He's going to be, like, the get-out-of-dodge throw when Notre Dame needs a third down. They're just going to hit him. If Buckner's under pressure, just fuck it, throw it up. Mayer's out there somewhere. He – We've seen him just dominate so much throughout his career, but I think it's really going to all come together this year. And, like, he's taken more of a leadership role on the entire roster now that he's a junior. Um, And I think there's going to be multiple games this season where he's going to have to put the offense on his back and carry Notre Dame to a win. And to put it simply, Notre Dame is tight end you, and I think that this year he's going to prove he's the best tight end ever come through this university. Yeah, I totally agree, and I'm looking forward to it. 
All right, this last award, as we sort of shift towards Notre Dame's schedule this year, uh, we got another new one. Um, this one is less about the current Notre Dame roster and more about the games ahead. Uh, this one is called the Toledo Award. It could have been called the Ball State Award, the Vanderbilt mm. Award, the Louisville in 2020 Award, because it's the what the fuck just happened in this game, okay? it's it's This is the game that Notre Dame is far and away better than their opponent. Somehow it's coming Prohibitive down favorites. Prohibitive yeah, favorites. Probably double-digit favorites. And at, at the when the game is over, everyone in the crowd, everyone who watched on TV has to come to an agreement that we never speak of it again until we do this award next year. <laughs> who is your pick? Yeah, um, I'm going with Syracuse. It's honestly pretty remarkable to me that Dino Baber still has a job going with just how bad the f- last three years have gone. Sidebar, pretty remarkable, like all the chatter there was around him getting some big-time jobs in 2018 when they had that team because he has not yeah. come close to that since. But um, that said, this one just feels kind of weird to me. Um, it's Halloween weekend. That's not a good thing. It falls between UNLV, who's awful, and Clemson, so it's an obvious look-ahead spot. Um, additionally... Um, they have that running back with the weird Twitter who just tweets out his stats every game, who's very good. Who's but a he's stud, a little, yeah. <laughs> he, and he he kind of has just like weird villain potential. Um, the big thing is the game is actually at the Carrier Dome, although it's no longer called the Carrier Dome. I'll get into why that's weird too. Um, <clears throat> they've only played in the Carrier Dome one time. It was in 2003, December. Notre Dame got absolutely throttled by Syracuse. <laughs> they lost thirty-eight to twelve, and Justin Tuck tore his ACL. So that yep, place, I might, that. that place is kind of cursed. It's also now the newly renovated JMA Wireless Dome, which I don't like at all. That's even weirder. That that game, which I think I'm actually going to go to Syracuse for this. Uh, what? I, I, I've never been to Syracuse before. Good got a friend that lives up there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but You're anyways, lucky, dude. yeah. So. This one feels weird. This one just screams, okay, what just happened in, in Syracuse in upstate New York? No, I, I was thinking that too. I almost picked them. I think Sean Tucker is a really good running back. Like that team last year was pretty bad. Terrible. They, they finished five and seven, um, but they returned 17 starters. It's another thing you got to be a little bit concerned about. Tucker was an All-American last year. He broke the school's single-season rushing record. He led the ACC in rushing yards. And he's like their first All-American running back since the '60s. And uh, if you're thinking about since a Ernie way, Davis, um, yeah, I guess so. I think the thing is with the, with a game like that, like the way to beat Notre Dame, if you're like an under, just basically just keep the ball away from Notre Dame and just take advantage of opportunities. Like I'm with you. That that could be a scary game. I also think Marshall uh, could have potentially been scary, but it sounds like their running back Rasheen Ali. Uh, is leaving the team due to some personal reasons, but he was a stud last year. So now with him gone, I think that game becomes a lot easier. I just thought, you know, after Ohio State, and given how the Toledo game went last year in the home opener, you never really know. Uh, but, so I'm going to go with Boston College, and this is more of a historical pick, uh, just because Boston College almost always gives Notre Dame's fits. But it's going to be middle of November in South Bend, so God knows what the weather is going to be like. Our boy Phil Trukovic is coming back. Um, I say that obviously sarcastically. We know that this program is not a Phil, pro Phil Dracovic in any way. 
Um, then you got the former tight ends coach, John McNulty. He's their OC. He knows the team. And I know their offensive line is horrible, but they've got Zay Flowers at wide receiver, who is a stud. Um, I could see this game getting weird and coming down to the wire on senior day. And I really, really hate the thought of that, too. There's something like I hate all of Notre Dame's rivals. I don't know if Boston College is really in the rival, but there's just something about them. Maybe it's the 1993 thing. Maybe it's the 2002 thing. They always just play spoiler, and I just I hate them. So that's yeah, my pick. That's fair. I will say this though, like the fact that we're addressing this ahead of time probably means that the games aren't going to be weird. Because if you look at that list of games that you put out. Um, Ball State, I was literally like my motto that weekend was you only play Ball State once going into that. Like I've just treated all these weekends like jokes. And then like the games have just turned into absolute shit shows. I think Vanderbilt was like Vandy 2018, no regrets. Uh, The Toledo one. I kept just quoting that Rudy Colonel Sanders like commercial like and then Louisville. I was literally at a wedding like didn't even think about watching the game. I was watching it on the altar. I ended up watching that. But so like these games are all jokes. Like I've treated them like jokes and then I've kind of almost paid for that. So uh, maybe the fact that we're being a little bit preemptive will prevent that from happening. I did want to throw out one award that we're not going to actually award, but like it was a potential name. Um, and we don't want this to happen, but this one is the, uh, the Lawrence keys slash Hans Rasmussen award. Um, that's the player who has a, DNP coach's decision or plays less than five snaps in game one and hits the portal. Um, I think we all know that Lawrence Keys did that last year. Some of you may be wondering who the hell is Hans Rasmussen. <laughs> that is a, uh, a former Irish basketball player who decided to transfer while sitting uh, during a layover in the Alaska airport after the great Alaskan uh, shootout. He literally said, fuck this, I'm out in the Alaska airport. So uh, I thought it was a good name, but obviously we don't want this to happen. did happen to us last year, hopefully not again. Yeah, that's why we didn't want to put that evil on any player, uh, to quote Ricky Bobby there. But uh, it was a good idea for an award nonetheless. All right. We already started talking about the schedule a little bit. We'll go through these. We're not going to go super in-depth on all of them. Um, obviously, Notre Dame opens up September 3rd at number 2 Ohio State. They are Notre Dame's 15.5-point dogs. We're going to go real in-depth on this next week. We're going to do our full Ohio State game preview next week, so we don't have to spend too much time on this at all. You know the deal. They got C.J. Stroud, their quarterback. He's the Heisman favorite. Their receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he's sixth. Uh favorite to win the Heisman. And then their running back, Travion Henderson, is tied for eighth. Uh, they're just a wagon. Uh, their defense had problems last year. They bring in Jim Knowles. Who knows how quickly he's going to turn it around. And it's certainly he's certainly got the talent to do it. They recruit five stars every year. So just real briefly, like what do you, how are you feeling about this as we are a little bit less than two weeks out? Well, I was asked that like probably five times at this wedding I was at this past weekend. And it was funny because as the night went on, my – my prediction got yeah. more and more optimistic. Every Miller um, light goes down and obviously yeah, the it's points. More, <laughs> it, not even that. It was just like being around Notre Dame people. I'm like, uh, my honest take is, yes, we know Ohio State is very good. Um, and we'll get into more of this. It's going to be a challenge for Notre Dame to win that game. Um, but I do kind of feel like there's been a bit of an anointing with Ohio State, like putting them on Alabama's level. And I just don't think they're there. Like, I, I just don't. Um, they were very flawed last year, and I think those flaws can show up again. Uh, and 
They get a lot of credit for beating the shit out of a Utah secondary that had a bunch of running backs playing out there. One running back, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, like, I was gonna I, say. I just, I think there's been a bit of an anointing, and it kind of pisses me off because, listen, they won a national championship in 2014, but outside of that, I think they probably underachieved with their talent more than anybody. So um, I don't want to hear about Ohio State. We're going to be talking about it a lot. But that's pretty much my take. It's going to be a challenge, Notre Dame. Uh, I'm sure I'll get there by game time, but it's going to be a challenge. All right, let's move on to Marshall, the home opener, September 10th. Uh, they finished seven and six last year. Their projected win total this year is six and a half. Uh, they're like a sneaky good program. Um, if you, I don't imagine most of you listening are following the thundering herd, but they have won. They've had five consecutive winning seasons. Um, and last year, four of their six losses came in one possession game. So they're sort of a grinded out team. We mentioned they had a really good running back. Uh, however, their quarterback last year, uh, Grant Wells, he transferred to Virginia Tech. He's going to be the starter for the Hokies this season. So then this year, Thundering Herd got uh, a Texas Tech, Texas Tech transfer, Henry Columbi. I don't know if I'm saying that right. He was the Red That's Raiders right. passing, leader, uh, passing leader in 2021. So, yeah, I, like I said earlier, I almost took them uh, as the Toledo Game Award, but with, with Ali out and their quarterback gone, I, I don't really see that happening. Yeah, that's the Kane Madden Bowl. Um, that's that's all I got. I, I, I did say this when we were off air. There's just no way we have two home openers that are that wacky, but it could happen. Like, I'm already thinking of what sort of joke I'll be making about Marshall, and it's pretty obvious. So um, I, I, I just... I don't know. I don't have much to add other than what you said. All right, let's move on to September 17th against Cal. I don't know about you. I just think this is the most random game on the schedule. Like a yeah, Pac-12 it's, team? It's it's not a home-and-home, home, is it, either? No, it's like a one-off. Yeah, I feel like they're a weird team. Like I feel like Justin Wilcox, is he's still the head coach, right? Um, he's like a pretty respected head coach. That said, I don't feel like he said that great of success ever uh but he's like he seems to be well thought of in coaching circles i know that they got the kid um from purdue in as a transfer quarterback who actually played against us last year he was starting over aiden o'connell at the time we kind of made his day hell that day and by we i mean the notre dame defense <laughs> i was not involved um no, but you were there <laughs> i was there uh but yeah it is a super random game and like i mean i guess it's a good thing it's not a home and home because I don't think I could make it out to Berkeley. I think that would be just too weird for me. Yeah, I don't think you'd really fit in in uh, Northern California, <laughs> but especially Berkeley. Yeah, it's weird. I actually met Justin Wilcox at Pac-12 Media Day, and, and there is sort of like this vibe around him that he's one of the more respected coaches in the Pac-12. What does that say about the conference? I don't really know, <laughs> but he's been there since 2017. Last year they went 5-7. and seven. Uh, Their projected win total is just about the same, 5 and a half. They won four of the last six to close last year after a one and five start. That was pretty brutal. Um, I don't really know what to make about Plummer. He doesn't scare me at all, especially after the game last year. They got some guys to replace on defense. I'm I'm just really not that concerned about this game. So I think we can move on to North Carolina. Um, and I know that you feel, I don't want to say nervous, but you feel some type of way about this game. Yeah. Um, I think my initial thoughts on this are um, – just kind of listening to different previews, there was kind of this idea that North Carolina was going to somehow be better on offense this year. And that one just didn't really compute for me because 
regardless of how atrocious their offensive line last year, Sam Howell was a great college football player. Like he, he was a very good college football player. I, um, that said, um, Drake may Luke may's little brother was named the starter this past week. And he was a pretty big recruit coming out of high school. At one point he was committed to Alabama decommitted, um, ended up at UNC. He was a top 60 player overall. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so I don't know what that offense is going to look like. They still got Josh Downs at wide receiver. Like they have some players. They've been recruiting at a very high level. It just it all depends on kind of how they put that together. Um, I do think it's very funny that Gene Chizik is their defensive coordinator and he's still somehow getting jobs. But hey, everybody that like knows stuff about college football says he's the best communicator in football. So we'll see how that one pans out. Um, I. I am a little bit nervous um, just because, like, it feels like that game that Brian Kelly would always win. But, like, I don't know. Maybe this is kind of a weird, weird point, like, right before BYU. Um, or, well, I guess there is the bye. Like, yeah, but I, so I don't know. that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, last year they had a, a really good quarterback in Sam Howell. I, I think Sam Howell was – became uh, – I respected him so much more after oh, yeah. that game because his line was abysmal. Like, they allowed the most sacks in the Power Five. Howell got sacked 49 times, I think, and he was getting crushed against Notre Dame. He just kept getting up. He's a good runner. So I don't really see how they could just get better without him gone and a new and experienced guy. But then again, they have been recruiting at a high level. They've had three straight top 15 recruiting classes in the country. They've had some five stars, including Tony Grimes. Uh, Zach Rice was a tackle they got last year that Notre Dame was going after pretty hard. Travis Shaw on the D-line. So I think that the talent is there. And we've sort of been hearing about Mac Brown and how ever since he's come on board, he's been recruiting really well. And these guys... Like, I feel like the time is now with them. Like, if they suck again this year or if they're just average, then I'm sort of over the Mac Brown stuff because, yes, he's been pulling in good recruits, but I just, outside of Sam Howell, who was a top quarterback prospect, it just hasn't really, like, led to them winning that many games. Again, last year, losing record. This year, it's a win total of six and a half. They return eight guys on defense, so I understand why you're, why one would be, like, a little bit concerned about this game, especially the fact it's on the road. Um, but I'm, I just don't see it happening this year. I think Notre Dame rolls. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they probably will. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm just – I think I'm trying to find that game that they would win in under Brian Kelly team, but maybe this Marcus Freeman team loses. And that's a horrible way of looking at things, and I've shit on people for doing that in the past. But, like, I just – that's kind of how I feel. Okay, next one. This one's an interesting one. Uh, BYU, October 8th, coming off a bye in Vegas. Catholics versus Mormons in Sin City. Does it get better than that, Luke? That's going to be an interesting weekend. I've never been to Las Vegas. That'll be my first time there. Um, probably my last time there as well, um, barring yeah. a national championship game being held there. But, um, yeah, that'll be an interesting weekend. I think what strikes me the most about BYU is, like, I think they they come in at number 25 in the preseason poll, which kind of feels a bit low, I, I think, for what they have coming back and what they've really been in the last couple of years. Their schedule is ridiculous, though. Um, they open at South Florida. Not that South Florida are some real world beaters, but that's just kind of a weird place to open your season. And then Baylor comes to town the next weekend, top 10 team. Then they go to Oregon. Um, then there's like a lull a little bit, but they, they host a Utah State team that's a pretty good group of five team. 
They obviously have us, and they also host Arkansas um, the week after they play us, who's a top 20 team to start the year. Um, there's a East Carolina game on there who like East Carolina is going to be fine this year. They got Boise state. Like this is a pretty legit schedule. Oh, and Oh, by the way, they, they also play Stanford to end the year this year. Like, and I know we don't think very highly of Stanford anymore, but that's a pretty legit schedule. Um, so like, this is going to be a very talented BYU team. Um, but I, I think just more of the thing that like, I'm so blown away by is just how aggressively they've scheduled. Um, because if you, Run the table with that schedule. You're getting in the college football playoff. Oh, no doubt. And as they should, honestly, dude, that's a really tough schedule. That Baylor game is going to be tough. Yeah. I think the thing with BYU that concerns me is they're returning 19 starters, and they won 10 games each of the last two years. Like, this is a pretty solid program. The projected win total this year, despite how difficult of a schedule they have, is 8.5. And And last year they beat Utah. And I know, like, Utah's a, a different team now, but Utah's like a dark horse pick to make the college football playoff this year. Uh, their quarterback, Jaron Hall, he went 8-2 and two as a starter last year, 23 TD, total TDs, five picks. He's pretty solid, and he was only a sophomore. you got to imagine he's going to get better. Um, their defense, though, is pretty so-so. They return all 11 starters. Their defense finished 52nd uh, in the FBS in scoring defense last year. They had a really good defense in 2020 and then took a big step back in 2021. Um, their biggest weakness, uh, they were really bad in third down, 103rd in, FBA, in the FBS, and 109th in sacks in 2021. So Notre Dame, theoretically, should be able to move the ball on them. But again, these older, experienced teams, a good program like in Vegas, like there's just a lot of ways uh, for that game to go south. But now I'm curious, for your trip in Vegas, where are you staying? I actually don't know. So you just um, have a ticket? No, no, no. I, I do know. My friends booked it, but I don't remember what <laughs> hotel it is. I, I don't I don't really I, – I, it's either – I like, I didn't really follow the text. I just paid whatever it was. But I, I think <laughs> wow. it's, e- it's either – it's either – I it's either Trump or it's the – Mandalay Bay, which is closer to the stadium, yeah. but that's where that shooting was. So I was a little bit cautious about that. So I stopped asking questions. Um, I was in Vegas, not this past weekend, the weekend before, and I think I'm all Vegas out for for a while. So I don't think I'll be at that game, but it will be very fun. You're going to have an awesome time and hopefully win some money on the way out. All right, let's move on to Stanford. Um, they finished three and nine last season. They were horrendously bad. Um, their projected win total is four and a half this year. They've got, they're actually tied for the most returning starters in the power five with 17. The problem is their starters stink. Uh, their three, their three wins last season were the fewest by Stanford since 2006. I could give you a bunch of stats telling you just how bad they were, but believe me, and you watched them in that final game, Brian Kelly's last game is Notre Dame's head coach. Uh, they're horrible. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually kind of fitting that that was his last game. I never really thought about that because the early Kelly years, like, that was kind of their model. He said, that's who we need to be. And then he just pounded. (laughs) I never really thought about that, but that is kind of fitting. Um, Yeah, I guess my only question is, like, we know they have Tanner McKee, who was a five-star. He's on a lot of draft boards. I don't think he's very good. Um, But, again, a lot of people think that Will Levis is going to be a top – is a first-round pick this year, so – some of these NFL guys I just don't get. But my only question about Stanford is, is this finally going to do David Shaw in? Because like, how You've many been waiting more? for this day. 
Well, yeah, he's, I mean, I don't like him. I've made that abundantly clear. I think he's a whiner, and I, I kind of just want to see us just pound him one last time. But I, I, he does seem to have a ton of goodwill there, so who knows? Like, I think he went to Stanford too, right? Um, I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, so I, I don't know, but, like, that's my one burning question. I, I couldn't care less about their roster, but just is this going to be it for David Shaw? Because they're going to be horrible again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they finished dead last in the Pac-12. Like, scoring defense, yards, yards per play, rushing yards. They, they're they just bad all the way around. All right, let's move on. Uh, keeping it on Vegas somewhat, UNLV. I'm going to be honest. Didn't know a whole lot about the UNLV Rebel football program before I started doing some research for this. Uh, are they on the rise, Luke? Their win total this year is 4.5, coming off a 2-10 season in 2021. They went 0-6 in 2020. Uh, since Marcus Arroyo became their head coach, they are 2-16. Now, they've added a ton of guys in the transfer portal, including a familiar face. Remember when we were doing the quarterback prospect thing and we were going through all the five stars and whether they're a boss and, and all that? Yep. We came on a name. We we're like, I don't even remember this guy. I have no idea who this guy, who this guy is. It was Harrison Bailey. He was committed to Tennessee. He is yep. now at UNLV. They also got some guys from like Michigan State. But who knows, man? I, I just I was laughing when I saw that name. Yeah, no, and I mean, what Arroyo? He was the offensive coordinator at Oregon for Herbert, I think, right? Uh, yeah, he was. So okay, she's got some pedigree there. Um, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about UNLV. But, yeah, that's interesting, the Harrison Bailey thing, because now now we know. Um, this truly may be, like, the home game that I do not go to because they're just that uninteresting to me. Um, so we'll see. But, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe they truly are on the upswing, and I'll change my mind by mid-October. All right, the following week, Notre Dame goes to Syracuse. We've already talked about this a little bit. Um, they returned 17 starters. I think – we we hit on them enough in the Toledo game award. Definitely a game, uh, definitely a game that I I don't think Notre Dame should just chalk up as a win, especially when you consider the fact that the following week, number four Clemson comes into town. Uh, we all know how it went in 2020, the last time Clemson came to South Bend, but we also remember how things went in the ACC championship. So this has become somewhat of a newer age rivalry um, ever since Notre Dame um, started their partnership with the ACC. Clemson looking to bounce back last year after a down year in Clemson terms. Uh, they went 10-3. and three. This year, the projected win total is 10.5. I told you they're ranked number fourth in the country. So um, I would say national college football media is pretty high on them. Um, what do you think? What, what are you expecting from Clemson and Davos Sweeney this year? So the last few weeks, I was prepared to kind of say on this episode that I actually think DJ Uliangalale is going to be very good this year. Like I, I kind of felt like last year was a blip on the radar uh, or an anomaly, and he kind of just got in his, head, in his own head as well as just didn't have any help at receiver. Um, that was before I saw their offensive coordinator yesterday say that Club Nick's going to play. Um, and now that could mean anything in like the first couple games, right? Like, I don't know if that's just a package or like kind of what Notre Dame did with Tyler Buckner and Jack Cohn last year. I I just, I really, and I I still don't really want to stray from that. Like I'm kind of on the Uyunglele is going to be good again. Like I I just think he's like, we saw too much flash in the Notre Dame and Boston college games in 2020 for him to truly suck ass again. Like that just doesn't compute. He was one of the best players in the country in high school and he did show it at the collegiate level. Um, So I don't know, but like the fact of the matter remains is that 
I think if you asked around the ACC, and I've heard people say this, like people think there are six or seven better quarterbacks in the ACC than Uyunglele, and Clemson is still a favorite to win the conference and they're number four team in the country. So what does that say about the rest of their team? Well, we know their defense is going to be very, very good. The defensive line in particular um, is very impressive. I just like it's going to be a big year for Clemson um, without the two, you know, coordinators that they had forever. They're they're both coaching now, Venables at OU and Tony Elliott at, at Virginia. So I, I'm interested to see kind of how those in-house promotions that they made with Brandon Streeter, um, at <clears throat> offensive coordinator, and Wes Goodwin at defensive coordinator pan out. Uh, but I do think they'll be very good. And, like, that's one of my, like, hot takes or, like, against-the-green takes is that I think Uyunglele is going to return to the form that we all expected him to play at last year. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely understand that. What he did last year and what he went through was so weird. I mean, he, he literally had the yips. It was like watching yeah. John Lester try to throw a, uh, <laughs> a ball to first base. Like, he literally, Uyunglele could not throw, like, a screen pass. It, <clears throat> it was, like, weird to watch and almost, like, sad. So I guess now we'll see if, if he's able to sort of handle this quarterback competition because it's a legit competition. Yeah. Uh, he uh, This job is not going to be handed to him, and if he's going to play, like that's one thing. If Klubnik gets out there and in practice he's better, like I don't know how DJ is going to respond to that. Um, another thing that's going to be really interesting to see this year with Clemson is this is the first time where Tony Elliott isn't calling the offense and Brett Venables, who's was one of the best defensive coordinators, if not the best in the country, running the defense for years. So Dabo hires Brandon Streeter on offense, Wes Goodwin on defense. He promotes them from within. Um, and I think this is a big year for Dabo. I, I know that we like to give Dabo shit, me especially. I find him just incredibly annoying. And just the way that when they were at like the peak of their powers with Lawrence, how he was able to spin everything is like, oh, well, we're just little old Clemson and how – like, the media is always out to get us. Well, this year they actually are. Like, we're feeding him, or, well, maybe last year more so, because, but you get my point. Like, they are sort of the underdogs now. They're they're trying to bounce back. We got to bring up Will Shipley, the guy Notre Dame wanted so bad. He had a really impressive freshman year. All in all, their roster features 12 former five-star recruits. I just don't see a way. All this talent on their roster and – Great coach in Dabo Sweeney. Like, there's just no way that they're bad. Um, I really think they're, they're going to be really strong this year. Hell, our boy Stanford Steve called their defensive line the best position group of any position group in the entire country. I think it tells you all you need to know. Yeah, no, they're going to be good. Um, I don't have any doubt about that. And I think Notre Dame's going to beat them, but I think they're going to be a really good team. So, um yeah, I mean, listen, I I don't even know if I've like ever really said this, but I'm just excited to see what a, a Notre Dame-Clemson game in Notre Dame Stadium looks like at full capacity. I was there two years ago when it wasn't at full capacity, and it was pretty awesome that night. Obviously, stakes are pretty high. I'm interested to see what that looks like with a full Notre Dame Stadium. Yeah, definitely the biggest home game of the year and one I'm most looking forward to. All right, next up, November 12th at Navy. Baltimore, it's in Baltimore because Notre Dame never plays at Navy. Uh, we saw Navy last year. They finished four and eight. Their win total is at four and a half this season. Um, they had a little good run there in twenty nineteen when they were having a really solid year. They were ranked, and then Notre Dame absolutely throttled them. So second disappointing season in a row. Um, they're not really good on offense. They're not really good on defense. And I hate the fact that Notre Dame plays this game. So those are my thoughts. <laughs> 
Yeah, you, you summed it up. Let's not even talk about <laughs> All it. All right, moving on. Okay, so Boston College, I mentioned it before. I gave them the Toledo Game Award. Last year with Phil Jerkovic at quarterback, there, he, there was a lot of hype about him going in. They started off 4-2 uh, and two with him. He hurts his hand. He's out for the rest of the year. They go 2-4 and four without him. Uh, their defense was actually pretty solid, but then once uh, Jerkovic got hurt, their, their offense was terrible. Uh, as I mentioned, McNulty, offensive coordinator, Zay Flowers, stud. Um, apparently, Zay Flowers turned down several six-figure NIL offers. Um, he even went so far to say that one school offered him $600,000 to transfer away from Boston College. I mean, that's what he said, so we'll take his word for it. But um, there is some talent there. It's going to be senior day at Notre Dame. Um, and, yeah, this this game, who knows how it's going to go. Yeah, um, they did lose their best offensive lineman in the preseason. to yeah. a, Their uh, offensive line is bad. Yeah, and I and Phil's bad. Phil fucking sucks. So um, <laughs> I'm sure so, that's an unbiased <laughs> opinion. Yeah. Um, anyways, I think I think it's going to be tough sledding for McNulty uh, this year, and I hope he. I I don't want to say I hope Boston College has success, but I would I, I like him, so I would wish him some success. But um, yeah, uh, Jerkovic has got to get out of college. I, I'm tired <laughs> of seeing his name. All right, the season finale. November 26th out here in Los Angeles at number 14, USC. Uh, I'll mention it. They went 4-8 and eight last year, but that doesn't really matter because they are an entirely new team. They fired their coach, Clay Helton. Are they middle. really? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go on. <laughs> their Go roster on. is totally different. Um, <laughs> Lincoln Riley's the coach. They added the number one transfer class in the country. Their projected win total is 9.5. You know the names. Caleb Williams, Oklahoma transfer, five-star recruit last year for Oklahoma. He had 27 total TDs to four picks. Um, Travis Dye, the running back from Oregon, I think he's actually underrated. When I was watching Oregon last year, especially in those games when they were getting punished by Utah, it looked like the only guy in green who decided to show up and actually showed any kind of heart in that game was Travis (laughs) Dye. He doesn't wear gloves. He runs really hard. He's a really good running back. And then they added the Politnikoff transfer, Jordan Addison from from Pittsburgh, excuse me. So their offense should be completely different, completely revamped. Now the issue there, obviously, is their defense, which was absolutely abysmal last season. They added uh, some guys from Alabama, linebacker Shane Lee. They added Eric Gentry from Arizona State. Uh, They have a long list. There's a bunch of new guys. It's basically like a a college football experiment. How quickly can you turn the program around? Mel Tucker at Michigan State did a pretty good job last year, adding a bunch of transfers and turning that ship around. We'll see what USC can do this year uh, in the first year under Lincoln Riley. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not so sure they are a completely different team. Um, it's the same USC team they've been forever. They have a good quarterback and really good receivers, and a terrible defense and a shoddy offensive line. Like that's that's who they've been forever. Um, I mean, listen, we all watched Drake London last year have whatever it was twenty catches against Notre Dame. Didn't matter. Like they they couldn't win the game. Um, I think it's going to take some time. I, I like it's, and I understand the excitement and the hype. Like Lincoln Riley, he does have a good track record, regardless of what you think of him. He's he's a good coach, um, but it's going to take some time. I'm just I'm not sold on their hype at all. Um, I think it's the same same kind of team they've had. Now the the counter argument would be that Lincoln Riley did win at Oklahoma with bad defenses. I, I'll give him that. I just I, it's going to take. I just don't. I don't. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Um, outside of it's, it's USC and people want them to be good. Well, I mean, even if they're the same team they've been historically, historically they've been pretty damn good. 
I meant I meant the last five to ten years. Wait, so you're thinking that they're not going to make a big improvement from the last five years in this first season? It's the same team. It's the same. They're structured the same way. They've always had good receivers and a good quarterback. Who gives a shit? I mean, Slovis was okay. JT Daniels is a freshman. Like, Caleb Williams is really good. Dort was pretty good last year. He's not Caleb Williams. I mean, Caleb Williams also almost got benched for Spencer Rattler halfway through last year again. I mean, he had the bad Kansas game. I'll give you that. But Jordan Addison, I think... Like, Jordan Addison, if you... He's I mean, a Belenikov winner, dude. He, yeah, he I mean, made Kenny Pickett a first-round pick. I think it could have been the other way around that Kenny Pickett made him the Belenikov winner. You saw Kenny Pickett in 2020. You really think <laughs> no, no, that he, he changed that, that much? He did not play that game against Notre Dame. So I, 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 I can't say I watched a lot of pit football. Um, <laughs> I, I I think that USC is going to be much improved. I, I think that the idea nope. that they're going to come like at a national championship, I feel like you changed your mind. I feel like we were in agreement on USC, and now all of a sudden you're changing your tune. They're the same team, as always. Same team. So they, they might win eight games. Eight games, dude. I mean, the schedule is you're, you're, so this, easy. Yeah, but like, they don't play still, Oregon. They're literally their only two tough teams are Notre Dame and Utah, which yeah, they will. I think they'll b- lose both of those. Yeah, they'll lose some some two other bullshit games too. I th- I just I, I I just don't think they're very good yet. I just really don't. Like, listen, one of the big transfers they brought in from the line was that kid at UVA who's not very good at all. Like that, like that, and he's going to be their starting tackle. I mean, their line last year wasn't it wasn't that bad. They just have no depth. It, yeah, it might not be the best, but when you have Caleb Williams and Travis Dye and Addison at the skill positions, like those three are probably better than anyone Notre Dame has on their roster. But the problem is the defense is is dreadful, and they're gonna they're gonna score a bunch of points, but they're gonna give up a ton as well. I I think that they will probably get to nine. I would stay away from the the win total, but I think they're gonna be much improved this year. I just don't. I don't. I, I I think it's the same old USC. I hope you're right because it is annoying as hell listening. To now USC that's fans that's not gonna that's not gonna stay. But this year, I just don't see it. I don't see it. All right. You also have coward making them out to be the best <laughs> team of all time, which is definitely sort of a bit. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of funny. A bit. But like, I just don't see it. Anyways, yeah, that's enough USC right. talk. So that's it for the schedule. It's time, Luke. We've got to make our official. Record predictions. Last year when we gave ours, I'll get, you said 12-0. I said 11-1 with a loss to Cincy, and uh, I was right. But we did not end the show off on a great note because it clearly infuri- infuriated you. And I was honestly really upset that I ended up being right, especially after watching uh, Cincinnati come to South Bend and beat Notre Dame. So this year, what are you projecting? Yeah, so this is a total cop-out answer, and it's honestly subject to change over the next two weeks. But... I went back and forth a lot between eleven and one and ten and two. I ultimately fell on ten and two. I do think right now they will lose to Ohio State. Um, I do not think that Notre Dame will lose to Clemson or USC or BYU. I think they're going to lose a weird game. You got to give me the name. You got to give me the team. I'm not I, letting you uh, out of this. It's, it might be uh, no. I'm not. You got to do know. it, dude. No, I you don't. have to do then it. Then I'm saying yeah. eleven and one. Then I'm saying eleven and one because I don't want to say any of that on air because, like, I, <laughs> I just I can't, I can't believe that Ooh. like that that's actually going to happen. But I do think that they're probably do like, and I've shit on people for this line of thinking forever. So 
it's it's definitely a cop out, like I said. But like they probably lose a game they're not supposed to, and that's gonna suck. Um, and people are gonna lose their minds. Um, but it'll probably it, it's probably due to happen to well, a first year head coach. When you say not supposed to, you mean like they're the favorite and blow it. Right, like I mean, like I mean, like Notre Dame losing to Pittsburgh in 2013, like okay. like that sort of game, like like where you are the better team, you are the favorite, and you don't show up and you fuck something up and lose the game. Okay, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there, and yeah, Brian Kelly, like no, when Notre Dame was favored by the end of the run, there, like if they were favored, chalk up. Yeah, um, so I hate my pick too. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, I'm taking ten and two with the most boring. Like ten and two pick. I'm saying they're going to lose to Ohio State. And they're going to lose to Clemson. But I would say about the Clemson game, I think that it's going to be a game somewhat like you mentioned, where they should win. They'll have opportunities to win, and they might even be the better team. I just think that there's going to be a game where Notre Dame is the better team and they blow it. Um, now taking Clemson is sort of a cop out there because if any team is going to take advantage of your mistakes, it's probably going to be the more talented ones. And Clemson is clearly one of the more talented teams Notre Dame will face. And I hate that I'm making this pick. And I know that when Notre Dame beats them in November, it's going to come back to haunt me kind of like the uh, Wisconsin pick I had last year, which is why I was adamant that you pick a team so that you had to deal with some of the same backlash. Um, but I'm just, I'm I'm pretty high in Clemson. I don't think they're like national championship good, but they've recruited too well. They have too good of a coach and they have too good of a defense to not be a really solid team. That matchup, that game, assuming Notre Dame's offensive line is at full health and Clemson's D line is at full health, I think will be the best matchup of any game Notre Dame has all season in terms of position. Now, Notre Dame plays Ohio State and the wide receiver room is crazy, but I don't know if Notre Dame's defensive backs are at that level. I think that by that point in the season, we're going to be looking at the best offensive line in the country going against the best defensive line in the country. I think it's going to be an awesome game. I just think that there's going to be an op- that Notre Dame could make some mistakes, some dumb things happen, and they drop a home game. So, yeah, I'm going with 10-2. Yeah, they're going to be Clemson, but okay. <laughs> well, then, if you're going to give me shit for the Clemson game, you got to pick the second loss. And I'm saying 11-1. and one. I'm saying 11-1. and one. Okay, so 10-2 and two and 11-1. Yeah, right. um, and like I said, that could change to twelve and zero by ten days comes around. So <laughs> I'm actually surprised you didn't get there when you when I initially saw ten and two, I was shocked. Uh, now, now, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, especially with the Patterson news, dude. I, I that one doesn't bother me. That like I think they'll be fine there. Uh, it's just like everything else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You got anything more you want to add? This is a long one, but I I love doing the season preview. No, I I think I'll just say that like this is this season just feels like it has more juice to it than maybe last year's did, and it's not the for the obvious reason is that like okay, there's a new head coach, it's something new, like the schedule is just is better this year. Like totally. last year, the biggest games were Wisconsin and Cincinnati. Like those just don't get the juices going at all. Like the Wisconsin was cool because. It was, you know, at Soldier Field, like, whatever. And Cincinnati was a top-10 game, although it didn't feel like it at all in that stadium. Um, this just has more juice to it. Like, it, it, it just undoubtedly does, and, and that's exciting. And, and I think has me a lot more excited for the season than I've been probably in a while. So I'll just end with that. Yeah, I've got nothing more to add. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Sun Saturday. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Sad Irish. Uh, we have a new student intern this year named Claire who's going to be helping us out with all of our social media channels, and we're really excited. 
about what she's going to bring to the team. So make sure to give us a follow at Sense of Sat Irish. On that note, please like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. And be sure to tune in next week for our preview of Notre Dame's season opener against Ohio State. It's almost here, and no matter what the score says, I just can't really I can't wait for real live football. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.